So this month we're going to look at what biblical quitting looks like. What does it look like when we finally say no more? What does it mean to quit those things that are damaging to our lives and to our souls? And so when we quit the fear of what other people think, we choose freedom. When we quit lies, we choose, we choose truth. When we quit blaming others, we choose responsibility. And when we quit faulty thinking, we choose to live in reality. So this morning, I've got good news and I've got bad news. The good news is that for a lot of you, in the next 20 to 30 minutes, they may be life a life-changing time for you. That you will experience something from God's Word, not my words, but God's Word. And I believe there will be parts of your life that will be transformed and will not be the same again. I believe that the plan and the purpose of God will become clearer as you look back on 2023 and look to 2024. The bad news is there are some of you here that will find all sorts of excuses. Excuses why you don't need to or why you don't want to apply the teaching of God's Word to your life. For many of you, this pulpit series will be life-altering. But sadly for some, you'll have a whole lot of excuses as to why you should not apply this teaching. And this is our theme today, I Quit Making Excuses. If I asked all of you this one question, especially during this time of the year, what would you like to be different about your life? And because it's a new year, this question is uh, the, 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 the forefront of our thinking, so that the chances are that you would say several things. You might say, I really want to lose some weight and get fit, because that's what's all over the TV at the moment, isn't it? Or, or I, I want to, I, I'm working too hard and I'm always promising to slow down and spend more time with my family. Or I need to get involved in, in, in the ministry of the church more. Or I need to get some, uh, spend some more time, uh, to, or I need to spend less and get my spending under control and get myself out of debt. So what do you hope would be different about your life? If truth be told, everyone in this room could identify something that they want different about their life. And so the problem is, so as soon as we decide to be different, as soon as we decide to make a difference, the unholy trinity kicks in, doesn't it? The world, the flesh, and the devil give us every excuse to sustain the same. As soon as you make a decision, there are all these reasons why it's really not worth the effort. In fact, Jesus told a story that captures this problem. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. And the time, at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first, the first one said, said I, have I have just bought, bought a field, field and, I and I must go, go and see it. it. Please, Please excuse, excuse me. me. Another, Another said, 
I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I am on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I have just got married so I can't come. And immediately, as the invitation is given, there is excuse upon excuse upon excuse. And this is much like many of us. We say, I would like this situation to be different about my life. But I tried last year and the year before and the year before that and nothing is really different, so why bother? I would like to do this but I am not good, I'm just not good enough. And I would like to do that, but excuse after excuse after excuse. That's why at the end of January, a full 40% of New Year's resolutions are already gone. And according to studies, by February 15th, 70% of people have given up on their New Year's resolutions. Within a year, or at the year's end, there's a grand total of 78% of people have trashed their New Year's resolutions because when we have good ideas, we rely on our own strengths. And our own strength and our own resolve is at some point limited. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on... Proverbs 28, 26, he who trusts in himself is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom is kept safe. Jeremiah 9, 23 says, this is what the Lord says, let not the wise man boast of his wisdom or the strong man boast of his strength or the rich man boast of his riches. And there is a problem. Here's the problem here. Here is where the rubber meets the road. We have good intentions rather than God intentions. And there is a tremendous difference this morning, beloved, a tremendous difference. Good intentions versus God intentions. Good intentions center around us, I, me, mine. This is what I would like to be different about my life. Good intentions are about me. They're me-centered God intentions are very different. They are God-centered. It's what God wants to be different about my life. And instead of being based on my own abilities, my own strength, my own resolve, if I have a God intention, then I can rely fully on God's power to do what God wants me to do. So as we enter into this paradigm of... I quit making excuses. I want to ask a couple of questions that are a little different. But I believe that the difference can make a dramatic impact on your life. The first question I would like to ask, instead of saying, what do you want to be different about your life? Let me ask it this way. What is it that God wants different in your life? What is it that God wants different in your life? The creator of the universe, God. What is it that he wants different in your life? So let's, make, let's take a moment and prayerfully think about that question and what God wants. Maybe, very, maybe the very same thing that you want. But when you attribute the idea to God, 
rather than yourself, it will totally change the way you approach the difference. So think about it. Amen. That's, and I'm about to say that. Thank you. <laughs> so think about it. What does God want? Maybe for some of you, God wants you to reach out and get more involved in the ministry of this church. Maybe for some of you, God wants you to be more generous. Maybe it's your, life, maybe, maybe it's your thought life. It's chaotic and it needs to be ordered. Maybe God wants you to deal with that. Maybe God wants some of you, uh, some of you, God wants you to invest spiritually into your children or into your grandchildren, whether they are younger or whether they are older. Or it might be your marriage that God is asking you to invest in and make it different. What is it that God wants different in your life? So the second question, and this question apply, application is very powerful. Why does God want this to be different in your life? Why? Why does God want this to be different in your life? Why does God want this area of your life to be different? Why? So when you connect the spiritual why with the what, there is a power, uh, there's a power and a motivation to accomplish the what. So let's look at some examples. What does God want me to do? You may say, I believe, I really believe God wants me to read through my Bible this year. Or I really believe God wants me to pray with my spouse or we pray with my children. Or I really believe God wants me to be involved with other Christians because I need other believers investing into me spiritually. Or I believe God wants me to be more generous with the resources that he has put into my hands. So why does God want that? Well, I just think he does, right? I just think he does. No, no. The answer to the why should I pray with my spouse why should I read the word? Why should I be more involved with other Christians? Why should I be more generous? Why should I get my chaotic thoughts under control? It is so that you can become more like Christ. That's it. That's what Loretta was saying. So that your life brings glory and honour to him. When you connect the spiritual why with the what, your motivation increases and there is power and motivation to accomplish what God has asked you to do and also that pleases him. So what is God calling you to do? Is it to get out of debt and to get your spending under control so that you can be more generous with the resources that you have? Why? Well, pastor, because debt is bad and I want a boat. <laughs> no, debt is bad and boats are fine, okay? But why does God want you to get out of debt? So what's that spiritual why that goes with the what? How does that thing play out? It's so that you can honour God with wise stewardship, with the resources that he's entrusted with you, 
so that you can leverage those resources for the kingdom impact and for God's glory. That's what Loretta was preaching to us. For God's glory. So when you connect the why with the what, then all of a sudden, all of the excuses that keep you from that keep you on the outside of what God is doing suddenly start to diminish. Because your motivation is by the one who asks you to do it for his glory. For his glory. So let's think about that whole paradigm and take it one step further. When you know what God wants you to do, that is, the God of the universe wants this to be different about your life, And when you agree with God that this should be different, there is no excuse on earth that can keep it from happening this morning. Do you understand that? There is no excuse on earth that can keep that from happening. Romans 8.31 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is the author of change and you... Uh, if God is the author of the change and you have every power available to you from God, there is no excuse that will keep you from the perfect will of God. Why is that? Because it isn't a me-centered project anymore. It isn't a good intention. It is a God-centered, this is a God intention, that this is what he wants And no devil in hell can keep you and I from his perfect will. I quit making excuses. I quit making excuses. And I pray this for you as well, that you will quit making excuses. So let's look at a story from the Old Testament, a great example of excuses and God's response to a man's excuse. Exodus chapter 4, God had called Moses to help deliver the Israelites from the bondage of slavery to the Egyptians. And they were under very cruel taskmasters and the people were crying out for deliverance. And so God chose one man and asked him to do something out of his comfort zone. This is what God this is what's great about God. He will choose, he'll, he'll, he'll get you to do something out of your comfort zone. Typically when God asks you to do something, it's not something that you would think that you can accomplish easily at least anyway. Because if you could accomplish it easily, then you would have done it anyway, wouldn't you? And you wouldn't need God. Now when, you, when, 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 when I ask you, what is it that God wants different in your life? He is going to ask you to do something that you don't think is possible. And this is even more evidence that God is asking you because he loves to get the glory. He loves to get the glory when he helps you to do things that you can't do on your own. So back to the story. God says to Moses, you're the bloke I'm looking for. And Moses says, no way, I'm not the bloke you're looking for. And, he, and, and we can see the conversation evolve in verse 10. It says, Moses said to the Lord, O Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither in the past, since, 
you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. In other words, he had a stutter. In other words, I don't like speaking publicly and leaders have to speak publicly. I don't want to do this. I'm not good enough, Lord. And, when, and, and what was Moses doing in response to God's challenges? He rolled out his resume of excuses, didn't he? Why he was not good enough. He was trying to shut God down with his excuses. So what exactly was Moses doing? He was looking at his own abilities rather than God's unlimited abilities. He was looking at his own, his own very limited power rather than God's unlimited power. Verse 11 says, The Lord said to him, Who gave man his mouth? Who makes him deaf or mute? Who gives him sight or makes him blind? Is it not I, the Lord? If you, answer, if you answered the question, I believe the Lord wants this, whatever this was. If you answered the question earlier, I believe the Lord wants this, whatever this is, to be different in my life this year. Given what you've just read, what you've just heard, don't you think God, the creator of the universe, is going to be there to help you achieve that? Don't you think that? The same question was asked of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 32 verse 27 says, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? There are some here and you know there's something that God wants to be different in your life. But you've got all these reasons why you can't. All these reasons why you won't. Why it will never happen. So let me ask you the same question. Is there anything too hard for the Lord? Is there? Let me put it in plain English for you. Your earthly excuses are discounting the eternal power of God. Your overthinking is discounting the eternal power of God in your life and the lives of others. No more excuses. I quit making excuses and I pray you will also let me pick up the story again God basically said to Moses stop your griping stop your whinging stop your belly aching you sooky la la (laughs) verse 12 now go I will help you speak and will teach you what to say there are two practical thoughts that emerge from Exodus chapter 4 from that text. The first one, I believe God is saying to Moses and to you and me as well, do what you can do, now go. No excuses, stop thinking about it, go and do it. And that is true for some of you here this morning. You know what God is asking you to do. So just do it. Just do it. One man said, delayed obedience is disobedience don't delay if God has shown you what he wants to be different that you need to do the next then you need to do the next thing that you can do there is no need to over spiritualize anything or to wrap it up in excuse uh, uh, and, and, and use the phrase well I'm just waiting on the Lord 
Do what you can do and trust God to do what you cannot do. When I first became a Christian, I had a whole bunch of good people that were around me. They encouraged me, they cared for me, they prayed for me. I was still messed up. I still had the stain of living a sinful life all over me. But I remember sitting with a bunch of people and asking the very same question. What is it that God wants different in my life and why? Was it just to go to church on Sundays and be a good person? Was it just to see how far I could push the rules of churchianity and get away with it? And so every time I'd ask a difficult question or pose, I posed an awkward paradigm. I was drip-fed a book on the subject, you know, like this. <laughs> now, the group I was with saw something in me that needed healing. I had some crazy ideas on how the world should be and a lot of pain and a lot of hurt to go with all those crazy ideas. And I was given a book by Francis McNutt, a, a charismatic minister. The book was on divine healing. And I was fascinated by this book. Most of, all it, it, it went, uh, most of what was in it went straight over my head, but it was fascinating because I got one thing out of that book and that was, do what you can do and trust God to do what you can't do. And I can still remember where I was when I read those words in that Francis McNutt book. I was on my lunch break, sitting in a factory canteen, trying to stop a coughing fit because of my chain-smoking habit. I'd started smoking when I was 13 years old, and by the age of 26, I began to have dramatic health effects because of my chain-smoking habit. And I can still remember sitting in the factory canteen with my book on healing and a packet of Marlboros. And with no fancy prayers, I said, God, I'll do what I can do, and I'll trust you to do what I cannot do. And when my lunch break was finished, I got up and I walked at that canteen with my crazy healing book, and I left the Marlboros on the table. I trusted God to take away the physical and the emotional addiction, and he did. I was healed. God, I'll do what I can do, and I'll trust you to do what I cannot do. And this was something that God put in my heart, and I did what I could do. It was that simple. It was that simple. If the Lord wants something to be different, you, you do what you can do. You do what you can do and you trust the Lord to do what you cannot do. God said to Moses, go now. And when you go, I will help you and teach you. It's almost like God implied, I'm not going to help you and teach you until you go. There's almost an implication in that. In other words, you do what you can do because there are things that I won't do for you until you do what you can do. And when you take the step of faith, I will help you. When you go, I will help you and I will teach you. You need to do 
what I told you to do and I'll do what you are incapable of doing yourself. There comes a time in every child's life when they want to ride a a two-wheeled bicycle, isn't it? There's a time when dad gets the wrench from the shed and takes the training wheels off the bike. And the goal is for the father wants you and I as little kids to learn to ride the bicycle. And you want to learn to ride the bicycle too, just like your friends. So if your father wants you to, and you want to, what excuse is there to stop you? Because if you do your part and see it through, your father will help you and teach you until you can do it without assistance. Do what you can do and trust God to do what you cannot do. Let me share with you another story that fits this paradigm of when you go, I will help you and teach you. While I was pastoring a church in Liverpool, England, the church used to have two services on a Sunday, one in the morning and one in the evening. And the evening service was designed to be uh, an, an evangelical service, but there was, there was nothing going on. It was more like a Bible study group. So I decided to advertise in the local paper and do a flyer drop that our church was, was holding healing services every Sunday evening. Not only did the people start to show up, but God started to show up as well in the services and he helped uh, uh, my little Bible study group. Uh, He started to teach us and started to show us how to minister to people and to be the very thing that we desired to be and that was evangelical. What did God say? Moses, when you go, I will help you and I will teach you. I can still remember... This one Sunday evening, we were halfway through the song service. Service had just started and you know how you do the first three songs. And we were halfway through those, those first three songs and a middle-aged man was literally carried into the sanctuary by his two teenage boys and his wife. And they had fairly stern looks on their face. They took him to the back, the very back last row of the chairs and they laid him down on the floor as he writhed and twisted in agonizing pain. And when the whole congregation finished looking at him, they all turned and looked at me, as if to say, this is going to be interesting. (laughs) Anyway, we finished the song service, the short sermon was preached, simply because this bloke up the back was moaning and groaning in pain. And then the moment, that I had been dreading. I made the call if anyone wanted to be healed to come forward. That's when the whole church, that's when, when our church ushers brought this bloke up the front in absolute agony. So, long story short, long story short, he was a Christian man who had been he severely hurt his back and had heard about our Sunday evening healing services. So this bloke was in agony as the church ushers helped him up to the front and they, they were, the, the two church ushers bore his weight at the front of the church. And at that point, I cried out to God in my mind. I said, Lord, how do I pray for this man? What do I say to him? And the Lord impressed on me to ask him 
Who do you need to forgive? Now, at this point, this guy got all bent out of shape with me and yelled at me and said, for God's sake, man, pray for my back, will you? And I reminded him that he was here because he believed that the Lord wanted something different in his life. And that divine healing was not just physical but also spiritual. And mostly, most times the two go hand in hand. So I told him he needed to do what he could do and to let God do what he couldn't do. So I asked him again, who do you need to forgive? And with that, he started to cry. And he told me that he literally hated his best friend. He had bitterness and unforgiveness in his heart towards this man who he called his best friend. Both of them worked at the same company and reported to the same line manager, he told me. And through a series of moves and promotions, the line manager's job became vacant and they both applied for the job. During the interview process with the CEO, the bloke's so-called best friend maligned his character and threw him under the bus. So he was overlooked for that promotion. But the so-called best friend got the promotion. I asked him if he was prepared to forgive this man who was his so-called best friend. His first response was to look away and say no. So I pulled out the Jesus card. We always pull out the Jesus card, don't we? And I reminded him of the price Jesus paid for his sins. I told him he needed to do what he couldn't do and that was to forgive in the name of Jesus and let God do what he could not do and that was to heal him. I was able to lead him in a prayer of forgiveness and a prayer of repentance but before I could finish my words the Lord totally healed his back just like that and he ran around the church then he opened the door and he ran outside just to prove that he was healed. He came back to our next Sunday healing service. A week, a week later, he came back to testify and to give God the glory. It turned out when he showed up for work on Monday morning, the so-called best friend who maligned him was sacked, was fired for serious indiscretions. And he was immediately promoted and given the job. So when you go and do what God calls you to do, he will help you. He will teach you. There are no excuses. If God wants you, if, if God wants it for you, and if you want it for you, there is no excuse. There is no power. There is no weapon that will stop you from what God wants you to do. So, as I was able to help this bloke turn his excuses into faith that God could restore him and heal him. So, if there is anything that I want you to take home with you this, this, the, today from this message, it would be this. Think about what could be different in your life and in the lives of those around you if you would quit making excuses. Don't come with good ideas, but come with God ideas. Ideas and thoughts centred around the Lord, around the King of Kings, around His glory, around His power, around His majesty. 
come with those ideas and then do what you can do and trust God to do what you cannot do. And he will get the glory when together with God, you and I do the things that lift up his name. Do you believe that this morning? Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Father, I pray that we would stop insulting you with our pathetic excuses. And I ask that you would speak to people today directly about what you want different in their lives. And I pray that each of us would have faith to be different. I pray that we would connect the the spiritual why, why you want this to be different, and that the spiritual why would motivate the what. What do I need to do to be different? And I pray, Lord, that we can do what we can do, that we would start the ball rolling. And God, I thank you and I praise you that you will be with us. On, you will be on our side. You will be on our, in, our, in front of us. You would go before us. And if we fail, if we fall, God, you will pick us up. Strengthen us when and where we are weak and encourage us where we are down. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And God, we quit making excuses. Amen.